Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest coming all the way from Australia. So he's already represented his country 22 times in FIB events. Four of those at the youth level. He's already earned a podium at an FIB event in Ljubljana. He played in the 4 and 4 event in Doha at the Anak Games. And all this is very impressive because he's only 23 years old. And we're also going to learn about his clothing brand and all the other stuff he's got going on outside of volleyball. Please welcome to the show, Max Gurr. Thanks for doing this, man. Uh, thanks for having me, Josh. Uh, it's good to be here. I've listened to a few of the shows, so I was excited to get the call up to finally be on one. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, we've been lucky to have Bakara and Tim and, and get some Aussies on the show. So with your journey, I'm wondering, how did you get into volleyball and choose that to be your main sport? Uh, well, I took a bit of an interesting path, I guess, going into volleyball because I was playing baseball, which is a very un-Australian sport obviously um, beforehand and when I went to high school so when I was about 14 years old uh, my dad had a whole bunch of old trophies in our in our house just sitting around the place uh, different volleyball ones and he'd always talked up such a big game about how good he was and everything so when I finally had the chance to sign up to play volleyball in high school I was like oh, all right well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go and I'm going to be better than Dad. You know, shut him up, basically. <laughs> nice. So you starting in high school, that's pretty impressive that you got to represent your country twice at the youth level, right? Because I think you went to U19s twice. So how soon did you know that you could be like an international player for your country? Uh, well, I think it was, so second year of high school, I was lucky enough where my coach at my school was actually in the volleyball program in Adelaide and had gone to Concordia so I had that connection and so he got me into SASE which is the South Australian Sports Institute and a couple months after training with them got into like state indoor and I think after that it was two years uh, and on yeah two years after that and then I was playing my first ever beach volleyball event which was uh, under 17 national champs and somehow managed to win not quite sure exactly how uh was very out of the blue for a lot of the coaches especially because i was so so tall where usually in australia a lot of the smaller and more skillful players win early uh, and then it was literally two months after that got an invite to try out for the under 19 world champs and got picked in the second team to go play in portugal Wow, wow. And what did you enjoy about beach volleyball when you started playing it? Like, if, if you were playing a lot of baseball and other sports, what attracted you to this? Was it just trying to improve in a new sport? Were you naturally good at it from the beginning? Like, what made you go all in on this? Honestly, I'd been picked for my state representative teams for baseball through under 12, under 14, under 16. And I didn't get picked for the under 18 team. And the week after I found out that I wasn't selected for that was the under 17 beach trials and so that's when I decided all right we'll try out for beach so it was definitely a second choice uh, because both national champs were at the same time so kind of just was lucky that I found out that I wasn't going to baseball first and things all just kind of fell into place and was lucky enough that everyone pretty much that we Went and everyone that went to that under nineteen world champs in Portugal was from Adelaide, uh, where I live and were grown up. So 
we'd been able to train each with each other for weeks and like months leading up to it. So was very lucky that it was all in my backyard. Uh, so it was definitely a straighter path than some of the other guys around Australia who've had to move around the place and move to Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm wondering, what was your first impression of volleyball at the international level? Because I think a lot of players, they never get quite used to a qualifier. It's like, what do you mean? I'm showing up and I'm, I'm not in the tournament yet? What does this mean, right? So with you being so young going to your first international tournament, what was it like knowing that you had to like win to get into the actual event? Oh, yeah, it was very uh, intimidating, I guess, uh, especially because we'd been told that at that stage, no Australian men's team had qualified for the main draw through the qualification tournament at a junior world champs. So it was something that we hadn't done previously as a country. So going into it, it was like, well, all right, you know, let's try and make history here and came up against uh, Germany and we were off the court in 21 minutes. We got thumped. So my first international tournament was probably one of the shortest games ever that played out to its entirety. <laughs> now, Germany's got a bit of a reputation of being like super technical and, and kind of focused in their training. So after that experience, is that what kind of inspired you to, to know that you needed to go back and work on your skills? Or what was the big switch for you? Was it just experience to go from, okay, I, I've, I've been there, I know what it's about, to going back to the same U19 and then taking a ninth, right? Yeah, well, at that stage, like for my first world champs, I've only been playing beach for six months so it was still very very fresh into it like I think it was maybe two years playing volleyball full stop so it's still very very fresh and so it was just kind of a massive wake-up call that hey maybe one under 17s in Australia but you know you couldn't even put a dent into this team and the qualifications uh, at a junior worlds uh, and then was yeah like, lucky enough that you know, having the senior men's program in Adelaide and the women's program as well there, you know, you could always see those senior players and you always had someone uh, to look up to. Uh, so it was always uh, in that environment. So when we could, you know, train after school and on the weekends and stuff, it was, you know, we'd been seeing a certain standard and we are like, oh, you know, striving for that. And then going to the junior worlds the next year I was actually pretty pretty pissed off because I thought that I in my head I thought I deserved to be picked in that top team uh, for under 19s uh, which I didn't get picked for I got picked in the second team and then kind of surprising to me I got picked for the second team with a different partner in under 21s as well so I was all of a sudden I was going over to Europe to play under 21s and under 19 world champs with two different partners. Uh, and so, like the under 21s, was playing with my current partner, Zach Schubert. It was like, so that was the first time that we even played together. And we played Canadian team, and the game went for an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> in three sets. Um, we lost, and it was very controversial. Uh, there was a huge net touch um, by Canada at, uh, when we were up 17-16 in the, in the third and everyone walked off the court expecting you know, it was game over, but the ref refused to 
refused to call it that way. And then we, you know, it's too young and too mature really to keep headstrong and finish it off. But then it was like from then on, it was like, all right, well, got under 19s. I came this close to make it just into the second round of qualifications. Stuff that like let's let's qualify, let's go, let's go all the way. And so it was literally like a nothing, had nothing to lose because you know I hadn't been picked into that top team like I thought I should have. So partly it was a try and prove the coaches and the people who made the selections wrong. And yeah, I think for sure, you know, maybe a bit favourable with the teams that we were able to draw. But at the same time, you know, we still had to go out and go out and win those games. Uh, so we managed and had an interview after we qualified and I'm pretty sure I swore every fourth word because I was <laughs> so shocked. Uh, so even though that uh, they put in a few quotes uh, in an article, they had to they had to stitch it up together to eliminate all the all the f bombs and everything. Um, and then yeah, it was like once we were in main draw, it was kind of a you know well we qualified and that was kind of our main goal. So let's just keep going. And, you know, just kept rolling, came up against, um, uh, in our pool we had uh, Stoyanovsky and Yardzukin, so that was like another big kind of like, oh, shit, this dude is huge. Like I'd been used to being the tallest guy around, like for comps, especially in Australia, but then coming up against him, I was like, oh, God, you know, how are we supposed to hit past this guy? And especially because that uh, Junior Worlds, you were allowed to, take the overhand receive. So anyone who was tall, like myself, we were standing three metres off the net and just taking anything we could in our hands because we refused to get aced off our forearms. I actually forgot about that rule. So you were in the era where they were just trying rules that never really lasted, right? Yeah, so like that was that was another real weird part of that whole trip was playing under-21s, having to deal with the, the block touch or the no block touch uh, rule, and then a week later having to reintegrate that in your mind, going, all right, that's a rule now again, but I'm allowed to pass off my hands. It was a massive, massive mental battle uh, for some, but for me, at my stage with my passing, I was like, this is heaven. I was like, I can stand three metres off now. It doesn't matter what I do. I can just pass with my hands. This is fantastic. And then just to clarify, because most of our listeners are, are here in Canada or some U.S., and then obviously our, our Australian listeners are growing, but just to confirm, are, you are always selected, so it's always a tryout, right, for your youth worlds, where other countries like Canada, we play a trials tournament, and basically if you win, you get to go, but it sounds like you're always being selected for these tournaments, right? Yeah, yeah, so that was like, you know, going to these events, you know, it was like all the English-speaking countries, you all go and uh, kind of share and talk to each other so yeah knew the Canadians had uh, tournaments and yeah as you said we uh, we get selected we have our junior nationals which I guess is kind of like a selection tournament in a way but it uh, if you win you know it's not saying that you're going to get selected and go play those events uh, especially because you know you're playing within your own state so it's kind of like a do really well at the national champs and you can get invited to one of the selection 
camps and then it's like you know you're basically training with everyone and do really well at the camp and then you know get the call up and then just looking at some of the results of who's in your age group or who you were playing with did that help you feel comfortable when you did go on tour because i'm just looking about some of the teams at these youth worlds like the the norway guys are there so like sorum and henrik mole were playing together bernstein was there like brill was playing you mentioned stoinowski uh, Canadian boys like Chris Tao and Sergey Gabrowski. Like it sounds like you're in an era that Youth Worlds transferred to playing professionally. So did that help you when you got on tour just to look around and be like, oh, I've seen him, I've played against him. Like, did it help get familiar, or was it kind of just playing in Adelaide and being around your seniors that made you so comfortable at a young age playing like professionally after the Junior World stuff? Uh, I, I think uh, saying it's like you know comfortable is a bit of an exaggeration. Like you know. Still, you know, even now it's hard to say if you're, like, comfortable um, playing because, you know, you get those, like, nerves or um, kind of that excited feeling each time. So there's never there's never real comfort, uh, I'd say. But if anything, seeing those, uh, those younger guys uh, playing for, or pretty much after Junior Worlds, jumping on the professional stage and playing, and then especially now in the last couple of years, you know, dominating and being up in those top 10 teams it's a bit of a oh shit you know we were we were you know at those we were in that same age level so sometimes it's a bit of a downer because you're like oh why aren't we at that level as well but then at the same time all of those teams kind of had like a year snap where they went from one level and then all of a sudden they're winning events just seemingly out of the blue, if you just look on paper, all of a sudden it's just like bang, you know, they've they've jumped up, they're winning all these games that they weren't, you know, three months ago. So seeing that as well, it's a massive boost because you're like, well, you know, if we, you know, train really hard and get this real good block in, who's saying that, you know, when we come back to playing that we can't have that that snap and have that boost and kick on. And I was hoping you could share a little bit about your playing style or how you like to carry yourself because in hearing from friends of the show like Jake McNeil and Dallas Keith who uh, have come across you and then just listening to you give an interview and all the swear words you gave and stuff, obviously you're you're a fired up guy and you like to play with emotion and you like to have fun out there. So is that something that you took from other sports that you wanted to be fiery or is that just how, how you your character is and that's how you're going to represent yourself when you play sports that like you're not going to go down without swinging you're going to show energy you're going to show emotion like you're going to you're going to bring it every game you play yeah for sure massively uh, competitive person um, it's kind of like runs in the runs in the genes like my cousin she's former world champion Olympic swimmer so you know, from an early age, like my first sport was swimming because I was like, well, I want to go to the Olympics and I want to do better than she did. And then, you know, swimming, we're like, oh, yeah, you have to get up at 4 a.m. for trainings. And I was like, yep, nope, not doing that. And that was <laughs> jump across the baseball and then uh, found, you know, found love in volleyball and was like, well, all right, now this is the, this is the dream. And, yeah, like I was definitely a hot-headed uh, kid on the baseball field when I started like a you know if I struck out I was you know a bit of a perfectionist and like you know if I wasn't hitting home runs or you know getting those RBIs I was throwing throwing helmets I was smacking the bat on the ground uh, so I had to get my head reeled in a bit um, 
still for sure there's that fire when I'm playing volleyball. Uh, you know, playing with my partner at the moment, Zach, you know, might not be as loud or out there as him, but you know, we both have a high level of energy on the court that is shown in different ways. So, you know, when I'm on the court and I'm in my zone, I may, you know, may not be the loudest guy there, but yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it like when I'm in there, like just love having that kind of presence on court and just that feeling of you ain't getting past me. Now, would you say that helps when you're when you're changing partners, like to go from two partners in the same year for Youth Worlds and just playing different events with different guys? Like we were talking before the show about how like you'll go to a two star with this guy, but you'll go to a major series with this guy. So when you are switching partners, is that what helps is because they know even in training that like you're all in and you're giving your best that you're not taking like a point off at any time? Like or how do you find the, the balance of switching partners and, and making new teams throughout the season? Yeah, well, the good thing that we have with when we've had to make those partner switches is that everyone that I've played with is living here in this uh, program that we've got in Adelaide. So it's not like we're playing with someone uh, that we haven't trained with recently or like trained against. Like you know, we're all in that same in that same uh, area, trained together all the time. So that makes it easy for sure. But yeah, all of us have complete faith in each other that. You know, no matter who we have to play with, where we're playing, what level of tournament, whatever, that we're going to be going for stick and we'll be going balls to the wall. And you know, it doesn't matter if you know we win or lose. That you know, we're leave, we're leaving our all on that court. And can you give us just what a typical week is like in Adelaide? Because I think. What's cool about sport is there's no one way to do things. Like in Canada, we kind of have a centralized program for our younger players, but our seniors are free to be camp space and train where they like. Or it sounds like the Americans just live all over the place and train with people who are close to them, obviously. But for you guys being in a centralized location for basically the people coming in to play Youth Worlds all the way up to your senior teams, are you all training together? How many times are you on sand? How many times are you lifting? Like what is a typical week at the Adelaide Center? Uh, yeah, so like the Adelaide center now is only the senior men so a few months ago when everything got locked down it kind of uh, made it the perfect time for the women to move up to Brisbane so they've got their uh, base up there now and then the juniors are for the most part in Canberra because uh, like the junior program now is like you know you train both indoor and beach and then when you make that specialization you can go to Adelaide or you get that contract or scholarship for indoor uh, so in Adelaide though depending on the time of the year you know off season what, what we wanted to focus on it's usually three to four gym sessions a week and then you know training each weekday and sometimes it'll be two a day uh, for the most part, though, we're at we're at Sassy uh, every you know nine to five, basically. Especially for myself and Zach, because we live the furthest away from Sassy. Still, it's only half an hour for us, but at the same time, it's a lot easier for us to just stay there and chill out. And we can watch video, we can you know watch NBA or any other sports that are on at the moment. So it's quite easy for us to just go to the one spot, all the gyms there, the offices are there, the courts are there, everything 
it's real handy just having it in the one spot. Nice. And how often are you guys doing like inter-competition stuff or do you save that for the national tour? Because I think one cool thing about Australia is you guys have a, a bunch of national tour events. So would you guys play a scrimmage or a match every week or do you, do you save that when there's a ref and money on the line? Well, it's within the last you know, few months, especially when we haven't been able to travel and play, the, the amount of times we've played, it's, it's kind of measurable. And then we're all chucking, uh, chucking money in there as well. We did a big king of the king of the beach thing where the five of us are all chucking in money and you know winner takes all pretty much. So yeah, each week uh, there'd be at least one training where it's just a complete competitive training where we're playing playing games against each other. If it's not just straight playing, you know there might be certain rule changes to really emphasise a certain part of the game that we're wanting to work on, but. Yeah, we'll be training uh, against each other, playing as much as we can, especially at the moment where we're just needing to release a lot of that competitive spirit onto something. Now, hopefully you don't get in trouble with the coaches and you can give an honest answer here, but one thing as a a guy involved in the Canadian system I'm really jealous of is every Australian team seems to be able to two-ball. And I'm wondering how often are you guys doing this in training? At what age are you learning to do it? Like, even watching your game tape, a guy, a right-handed right side and the way you can hammer it, like, is it as simple as you guys learn how to pass set and then you're learning how to two-ball? Or where does this come in in the Australian system? Uh, Well, it only really came in Three, three and a bit years ago, uh, we had like a, a bit of a coaching change and uh, restructure after Rio, and you know one of the things that changed like okay, well, you know what's a way that we can, or what's a game style that we can implement that teams aren't currently doing, that's really gonna you know throw throw things in the air a bit, you know, which really confuse some teams and push them to the limit. Uh, so it started with well, the top couple of teams who were implementing it and then obviously when we're training with them as well and then we start getting beat up on because you know, they're doing a certain game style. Uh, you know, we started doing it and then you know when the coaches started jumping in as well, it was really just refining it. So it was only something that's kind of popped in the last three and a bit years uh, and you know through that it's now just you know part of the because we're all doing it the juniors are all doing it and they want to you know because what did you do when you were when you were a junior and when you were coming up you were looking at those top teams you know okay what are they doing you know all right if they're doing that and it's working well i'm going to do that so it was the same same sort of system there where you know the younger kids they saw what we were doing and so like well all right we're gonna do that now awesome awesome and then just to go back to the earlier point we talked about where you've had a couple different partners uh, i'm wondering when you were planning out your season like how does that work how do you know when you're gonna play obviously you and zach are our team now and i think you've played a bunch of tournaments but when you were going through that phase of like i'm gonna play a two-star with this guy but then i'm gonna go to the major series with this guy how how early in advance are you knowing this or how many training opportunities are you getting or are you just a guy who wanted to play as much as possible and you were willing to go with whoever was healthy and available at the time? Yeah, uh, it was pretty much a, if I got the opportunity, I was going. Because uh, last year, beginning of the year, I was playing with Paul Bennett and he 
or at the moment is just a, you know, a couple months away from finishing up his degree uh, to be a dentist. So last year was pretty hectic for him with his commitments. So there was only a couple times during the year where he had periods in, the, in his semester and in his holidays where there was events that lined up and we could go and play. So when we you know, looked at the calendar and tried to map out what the year was going to look like at the beginning of last year, there was only going to be like two or three events that we could go and play and I was going to have huge periods of time in Adelaide. And then after the first uh, first block with him came back and then you know, Zach, who was playing with uh, Chris McHugh at the time, he had a bit of a sore knee and there wasn't the kind of real urge for him to go and play the event in Cambodia. So got the call up like, oh, Max, do you want to go to Cambodia with Chris? And that was, I think, four days before going that I got that call. Uh, we trained together once on a Sunday morning before leaving. Uh, and then... So, so before going and having my big stint with Zach at the end of last year, I was actually in the airport in Shanghai with Paul on a Sunday night and, you know, hooked up to the Wi-Fi and saw that I got an email from the coach. And I was like, all right, give this a look. And email says, oh, Chris is having to come back to, to Australia. Do you want to go to Europe? With Zach, you'll go and play Portugal four-star, then go play in Tokyo and then play Vienna. I was like, well, yeah, for sure. Like, I definitely want to go and play this. It was like, okay, cool. You're going to leave Wednesday night. And I was landing back in Adelaide uh, on yeah, Monday lunchtime after being away for two weeks. So it was go away for two weeks, come back for like a day and a half, then go away for three and a half weeks. Uh, so it was just always, you know, on edge. Like never knew when I could uh, get the call up, and there was really no way to plan any of it because a lot of it was I was filling in for a team that had an injury, and you know, going over to Portugal to play with Zach was that was the first time that I'd played with him in three years, I think, because we played a bit. You know, in juniors and everything after our junior world champs. And then he started playing with Cole Duran and then Chris McHugh. So we had a bit of a separation, but it was funny how things all kind of came back around. And then it was definitely a, well, you know, I've got a, I've been given this chance. I've got these three events. I've got to try and prove myself to the coaches to see if I can lock down this spot for real. And, not just be that fifth man and that odd man out. Uh, and, yeah, we we managed to string two wins together and qualify, and then we come up against Toa Wickler, fresh off the second of World Champs, and get pumped. <laughs> um, and, like, at that time, I really wasn't hand-setting at all. Um, and my bump-setting in the wind was pretty bad, so it was, like, almost a... You know, all right, let's just let's just you know get me hand setting, you know, really train it and let worry about the uh, result, and then I'm you know 
with the coach, we kind of came back to nut. You know, the thing that we uh, said when we were coming here was we were just going to play, play hard and see what can happen. And managed to get out of the pool and then won our first elimination game. So you know, I'd gone from not really doing anything uh, really well to a level other than the third at the one star in Slovenia to then bang ninth at a four star. So I was like, oh, how did that happen? And then it was kind of looked back and it was, well, I was just so free and, you know, didn't really care. Well, not so it was like they didn't care, but it was like, well, I've just got this opportunity and I've just got to play and just go for it. And whatever happens, happens. Wow. So I'm guessing in training you guys, because you are playing with different partners, you might play King of the Court or King of the Beach, whatever. That, that, that you are swapping because I'm sure some listeners are listening being like oh so he got the call and he t- took a chance and he made the most of it but I'm thinking there's got to be some small details in there like I think you got lucky that you were always with the blocker right but did you ever have to switch left to right side uh you were bump setting were any of them picky uh, well like um well um I'm, I'm a blocker myself and so the f- uh, having to fill in with Chris was interesting because he was or he'd been a blocker for the last a uh, few years like before that, he had defended with one of his old partners, Isaac Kappa. But so that was an interesting one, having the two blockers go together. But then, yeah, being lucky enough where you know having to fill in with they're both defenders and tall defenders as well. So even though yes, you know, you, you know, pick with wanting you know, handsets and everything, they also have two very very large hitting windows, so if the bump set wasn't quite there, you know, they definitely they definitely made it look better. <laughs> nice, nice, and then kind of just building to your your point about you're a competitive guy and you're going to get fired up. But how do you like to think of planning or even expectations when you go to events? Right, like if you know you're in the qualifier, does that change the mood for you versus when you're in main draws at other tournaments? Oh, I think like it's obviously it's like a work in progress and. You know, the more that we're playing, the more experience you get in it. But, you know, a qualifier really is the tournament itself. Or at least, you know, you see it as, you know, the, those uh, medal rounds. You know, you've got to come out from the start and go. You, you know, you can't, you can't afford to, to be caught slacking and, you know, stuff up that first set. Like, you've got to come out and be ready each time. Uh, you know, those expectations, yeah, they do creep in now uh, with some some results that we've had, like in Portugal and then at the beginning of the year, Zach and I are getting bronze at Asian champs. For sure now we're thinking, you know, all right, or putting ourselves in certain uh, places going, we should be getting this or, you know, we should be making, you know, this round of this star event and stuff like that. Uh, but really when it comes down to it, we can't be thinking of that, and we've got to take each game because it is. You know, each game is, is like that uh, elimination game. You know, taking each pool play game like it's a game in qualies, and that you have to win it no matter what. Nice, nice. And then, as you mentioned, like you, you were on the podium at Ljubljana, and then yeah, like the, these events played. I think you played over ten events in that one season. What was that like? Because I think people think the star system is almost like tiered where you're a certain level player, so you go to ones and you go to twos or whatever. But with you jumping around and even, uh, 
I think Espino, was that when you were in the top 10 or was that Tokyo? You definitely took a top 10 at a four star, right? So to show that like the level is competitive at, at no matter what star you're going to, how do you guys like to prepare for that? Like obviously there's going to be better teams at the Vienna five star and things like that. I can't argue that, but knowing that every game's competitive on the world tour, like what was it like in Espino and how it came together for you guys to take a top 10? Yeah, like as you like, said there, you know, just because it's a one star or a four star doesn't mean that you're definitely going to get a certain level of competition, uh, especially in Ljubljana. Like you know, we were coming up with against teams that you know are now playing in those you know three star events, qualifying four star events. You know, so they're they're up there. A lot of the time, it's you know, they're teams from countries that, you know, they may already have pretty solid uh, top teams and so they just can't get the funding to go and play uh, the higher events or can't get the opportunity to get picked to go and play them. So, you know, especially when there's those one stars close to home, they go and play them and, you know, you're coming up against a team that you know, has no points or has never played an event before. You, you can't go in thinking, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk because a lot of the time, you know, they're winning medals on their national tour or winning those winning those events when, you know, their top teams aren't there. Uh, and then for Espino, when we got that top 10, it was very much uh, just rocking up. And, well, you know, there's no expectations on this because Zach and I got thrown to, thrown back together you know, we've just got to go and play hard. You know, each game, it was no matter what, we've just got to leave leave the court saying we gave our all. doesn't matter if we won or lost. We just, our main focus was just go, just leave it all out there and, you know, had ups and downs, you know, getting smashed by Tol Wickler and then not being able to side out a ball basically against Andre George in our last game, but then at the same time, I think we won almost 50% of our service points against them. Uh, so it was a weird a weird tournament, the way that it finished, where it's, you know, we're looking back at it thinking, if we could have just started out, you know, we could have made a quarterfinal and all of a sudden, you know, we're playing top five, but, you know, for sure at that point, we weren't, we weren't ready uh, for that. But I'd love to just be able to go and play play events at the moment and go and travel because I'd love to be able to see what Zach and I could string together and what sort of results we could have. And how would you describe like your DB, uh, excuse me, debrief process with your partners and with your coaches? Because one thing that I find fascinating about Beach is you're on the road, you're you're going for meals, you're working out with the same guy, and after you get knocked out from the tournament, if you're just a bitter guy, like you're in the same room as somebody who, if you're being really upset, probably just cost you money, right? So listening to you talk, it sounds like you have a great mindset where it's like, oh, like if I'm going to play at this level, I need to be able to handset, or we need to be able to side out better. Like, how are you keeping such a clear mind and, and getting down to I guess the truth of the matter instead of just being upset that I'm so far from home we just got rocked you know I I don't like my partner right now like how do you deal with those situations in beach that maybe don't get talked about enough but it it is interesting that you're spending 24 hours a day with a guy who just helped you lose a tournament right yeah I reckon that I'm pretty like where I feel like I can switch off from those emotions uh, pretty quickly so 
usually when we're back at the hotel, I'm I'm off of I'm off of all those feelings. Uh, I leave those uh, all those feelings and have those debriefs down at the courts. So make sure that not uh, bring it home, uh, so to speak. Because yeah, if you keep that going for for more time than it's needed, it's only going to make things worse. You know, all of a sudden that that one game and all those feelings could then it start influencing uh, you know your next event or event after that because you just keep adding those feelings onto each other. So for sure, what we do is you know we debrief down to the courts and. What one of our coaches has said that it's kind of like stuck with me is that you know a debrief meeting should never go longer than the game because what are you doing? You know, if you literally go through every point in the game, you know, there's no reason that the meeting should go any longer than that. So a lot of the times it's a, a very quick uh, debrief meeting. If the coaches need to help facilitate getting our feelings and everything to a very um, fine point, then they help with that. But I feel like because we've all been around that environment and everything for so long, we've all gotten pretty good at being able to address each point and not take offence to it as well. Because that's a massive thing as well. Where you know, if if your partner you know calls you out and says, "Look," Your setting wasn't good enough today. If you get all defensive, um, you know that's you know, and you're not you don't have an open mind to it, then you know it's not going to help you. It's not going to let you help uh, grow, and you're not going to get any better for it. Uh, and then yeah, get back to the hotel room. That's where, you know, as we've talked about the the video games, they come into they come into play because it's something that you know doesn't matter what happened on the court, you know, if you've got just that distraction in front of you and you can just uh, put all yourself into that, then it definitely helps uh, wipe the slate clean. Yeah, yeah, let's jump on that point because I think there's some old school people, at least in Canada here, there, there's people who use tourists as a negative term where some of our teams go on the road and they have too much fun or they're too social. They, they don't get called professional volleyball players anymore. They get called tourists where I'm thinking a lot of Canadians who's ever come into contact with you and some of the other Australian guys, like it's just a good time. You guys are social, you're inclusive, you'll break out the Mario Kart, you know, you'll battle it out. Some people are swearing at each other. Or even uh, when we had the Estonian guys on, when they were in Edmonton, uh, when we ended the interview, they were laughing. They're just like, and one thing that doesn't get talked about in beach volleyball enough is like, we're going to go drink with the Australians. And like, that was going to be like a treat for them. And they were fired up to go <laughs> chat with the guys. Right. So is that just something that's in your nature? Is that just something that all Aussies do? Or why are you guys so inclusive and just ready for a good time? Cause it sounds like, you can switch off when you're on the court, you're a professional, you're there to win the tournament. You're not going to be somebody's friend, but in the hotel, it sounds like you're, you're willing to be everybody's best friend. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're back at the hotel, you, you know, just like you with your teammate, when you be partner 24 hours a day, a lot of the time you're going to be around those other teams for, for weeks and months on end. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, why would we not, try to be friends or like at least friendly with them because it's going to make it a lot easier for us if we're you know able to relax say like at the hotel rather than you know always just having your 
having your mad dog face, you know, sizing everyone up. If you can just chill out and relax with some people, then why not? And as long as the, you know you're able to, you know, flick that switch and go back into game mode as soon as you go, you know, start that walk down to the courts, then you know, see no problem in it. And I think that's what a lot of the, like what especially us like younger uh, guys in Australia and also like just the young guys in general for all countries on tour, I feel like that's where things are going a bit. And, you know, yeah, for sure, some of the older people might think, no, it's just a bit too touristy. But I think if you can do both, then why not? Because like, mentally it's only going to help us as well. When you say flip the switch, can you give us an example just so our young listeners can maybe steal it and add it to their game where – are you listening to music on the walk to the court? Is it just the sense that you're at a tournament, there's a referee? Like, do you get fired up knowing that we're playing for keeps and you spent some personal money to get there and you're away from your family and friends and stuff? Or what, what is a way that you do get fired up on game day after maybe uh, a, a night of playing Mario Kart with some Canadians and things get heated? Uh, well, yeah, sometimes it's music. Uh, yeah. But a lot of the time, it's just me and kind of what I can do personally, like just be sitting on the sitting on the bus or on the cart, where we're walking to the courts. However, uh, we get down there, and I'm on the way, and I might just be thinking about, all right, playing against this team. This guy does that, and you know, a lot of the time I'm just picturing myself blocking every ball, and you know, just putting that opposition into a hole, you know, making them think that they can't get anything past me. You know? yet to have a game where that is actually the case, but that's always what I'm striving for, is just to be that, you know, be that wall that you can't break down and get past. And, you know, with my just kind of competitive spirit as well, that just comes into play and I know that that's always going to be there and that's always going to be, be pushing me to, no matter who I'm playing and if I've played Mario Kart or whatever the night before, against them when it comes to stepping on that court they're in my way you know they're, they're in, the, in my way of you know getting that extra money and you know I love that money so <laughs> you know doesn't matter how many times I played Mario Kart with me you're not stuffing me from getting that nice nice and with the, uh, your partnerships is there ways to help your partner switch on too, or you guys have such a strong relationship that you know that like Zach's going to be ready and you need to be ready, or is there ever an opportunity to try to fire up your partner to make sure that they're they're all in for the match you're playing? Well, for sure, you always you know when you get to that uh, point where you're playing with each other for a while, you know or you expect that they're going to be on and they're going to be you ready for the game and. I think when you're in a really good spot with your team and with your with your partner, you can pick when they're not, and you also know what to do to to bring them on. You know, they may be trying to be you know fired up or like you know focused on the game, but you know a lot of the time you might not know about things going on in the background. So you know, for example, I know Zach he likes noise. He wants to he wants to be loud and he. He wants that high energy, uh, high energy game. He wants everyone to to be drawn to the court that he's playing on. So you know, I know that if 
we're warming up and he's not talking a whole lot or whatever, I'll I'll start doing it and I'll feel the and I'll feel that area with with noise because I know that you know he'll pick up onto that and you know all of a sudden he'll take that as a challenge to be louder than me. Nice, nice. Thank you. That's a great example. Thanks for that one. Um, just looking again at, at your career and some of the things you've accomplished. When the four-on-four event at the Enoch Games in Doha came up, how did Australia decide who was going to be on the squad, or what were your first impressions about, you know, this kind of unique event and the chance for you to go there? Well, when it first got announced that it was going to go, uh, there was a bunch of us all in the senior squad. We were all very, very keen to go, and you know, we were always kind of pushing that we wanted to get a team selected, and then uh, we found out that we. To get a team in, we had to apply for a wild card um, to get to get in, and we were just lucky enough that at the time our high performance director was also the chef de mission for the Australian team going. So we definitely had the the person in the right spot to get us that uh, that ticket. Uh, unfortunately, there was some other uh, world tour events coming up that stopped the, some of the other senior guys to going, but. There was a, a few of us in Adelaide who were the the main kind of driving force behind, you know, really wanting to go and get this thing going. And then there was a like like always there was a selection and got some other uh, juniors from uh, some younger guys from Queensland and then also uh, John Hunt from WA who you know I already played with it at Junior Worlds and uh, so you know, we already knew uh, pretty much all, uh, each other completely so when we were able to go over we only had like a, a week of, well not even a week, like a, a few days of training in Adelaide before we ended up uh, heading off. And do you guys play four on four when you're like hacking around or stuff or is that popular when, when you're not training or... What what attracted you to this event just because it was so different or a multi-sport games or, or what got you guys so fired up to lead this and do the wild card and get everything organized and all the stuff you did behind the scenes? Oh, yeah, well, because we have uh, such a good uh, squad here and, you know, at, at one point there was eight of us all in Adelaide, then, you know, to get everyone in that real competitive thing, I was like, all right, what we can do? Uh, we can go four on four. and so. We'd play that, and so we'd already been playing four on four or three on threes uh, for a little bit anyway. And then when that popped up, it was kind of like, well, why wouldn't we do it? You know, we've already actually done this a bit. And then they did the kind of test test games uh, for the rules and everything at the Sydney Three Star last year. And so all of a sudden, you know, it was right now backyard and you know, we it was Australia versus, uh, versus Europe and we towed them up uh, as we expected that we would uh, just because we knew that we knew like different plays and how we could uh, set things up and they were kind of going from you know, your usual two-on-two beach volleyball and you know all right add two guys in where one thing that we kind of had was nah it's it's indoor but with two guys less. 
And what were your impressions when you got there? Because I couldn't find the rosters until the event actually started. So I'm wondering, did you have a sense of who was coming or did you get there and be like, is that Taylor Crab? Oh man. Like, and there's so many other like world tour guys on everybody's squad or, or what were your thoughts when you get there and be like, Oh, this is just a bunch of world tour guys playing fours now. Yeah, it was We were definitely, well, I don't know if everyone in our team, but I for sure was going through the website, trying to see if I could find the rosters and it was, it was never there. So then I was deep diving into each different like national federation, seeing if they'd posted anything, and so found the article, you know, that had the USA guys and the team that were sending, and I was just excited. I was like, oh, "This is going to be fun!" Uh, and then seeing the Brazilian women's team that got selected, that was kind of like, "Oh damn!" Like they're really going for it. And then also just throughout like different. Uh, World Tour events, just hearing kind of whispers on uh, potential teams or players that would get uh, that were going to get picked, uh, didn't end up uh, pounding out and everything. But there was always just that bit of mystery, and you know, you never quite knew what level of competition was going to be there. And you know, one disappointment from the event was not being able to play against USA. Nice, nice, and uh, and just one more volleyball question before we move on to some other stuff that you've got on the go here. I'm wondering, you're only 23 years old. You've already played so much. Like, what keeps you dialed in? Like, do you still feel like you're getting better? Or are you the type of guy that's like, yeah, I was on the podium at Ljubljana, but we didn't win, so that's not enough. I want to go. And, and when you do win a tournament, that's not going to be enough because then you want to win another one. Like, how do you stay dialed in here? Because you're, you're, you're quite young, but looking at your resume, you've already played a lot of events. And I'm sure once we get back to normal, you're going to be on tour full time again, right? So... What keeps you plugged in to keep going through Adelaide and doing all your lifts and doing all your training and all the other stuff you've got on the go? Olympic gold, straight up. Like, you know, that's what our team and that's what Zach and I, we both want is that Olympic gold. So, you know, it doesn't matter what what result that we get at whatever event, that's our, that's our goal is, you know, we, so for, for next year, We've got to win that Continental Cup. We've got to be that team that goes, and we want to win that Olympic gold. Doesn't matter what what seed we are going into the event, or you know, whatever. We want that gold. If we if we don't go, then that's still the goal. That's always always sitting there. If we want it, then it's going to be like, all right. Let's do it again. Like I think you know, that's both of our kind of mindsets where we're never truly going to be fulfilled with you know we're always going to be wanting that extra that extra step you know that extra we'll always find that extra motivation really so that's the big thing that's been keeping us going a lot through this break where we weren't able to train for a couple of months and then now we're we're essentially locked into Adelaide and locked into Australia and not able to leave is all right. Well, let's use this time to get you know even better that you know even better than we thought we could have. You know, we're lucky enough that we're one of those younger teams that is going to benefit massively from actually having the Olympics a year later. So you know, we're kind of like, well, let's use it to our advantage. Let's not you know see the negative of not being able to go anywhere, not being able to play as as much as that sucks, it's like, well, this is also a massive opportunity for us to do something that 
a lot of people probably don't think that we can. That's, that's amazing, man. Thanks for that answer. So I'm wondering, how do you stay connected to this goal then? Like, are you a guy who, when you lift weights on a Tuesday, you're lifting weights to win Olympic gold? Or how often does it get talked about? Is it written on a whiteboard somewhere? Or or the flip side, when you come back from taking a 9th or a 17th, how do you know you're on path to do this? Because it sounds like you're dialed in. I'm just wondering if you can give tips to athletes listening or any younger listeners about how do you make this large goal but then stay connected to it every day? Yeah, so we got that. We've obviously got our our large goal, um, but it's kind of silly if you literally just had that because there's so much space in between now to an Olympic gold medal. You know, so you may have that that big kind of dream goal, but you need those small ones in the lead up to it. So, you know, one thing that we were doing for a while is you know writing down, all right, what's your dream goal? Okay, where do you want to be in a year? You know, how do you want to be as a player? Uh, what skills do you want to be able to perform? Like, you know, is it, you know, where do you want to be mentally, physically, all you know, tactically, all of those sorts of things? And then it was so much as, all right, well, what are you going to do this week? How are you going to get better at those goals in the, in this week to manage to get to get that season goal, which will then help that four year and dream goal. And, you know, when it comes to lifting in the gym, you know, you've always, you know, we're trying, you, you're at least, you've at least got your partner in there with you. And so you're fighting against them. And, you know, a lot of the times where they set a PB with one lift and then, you know, that you've got that lift as well. And you're like, oh, stuff it. Let's just chuck a couple extra kilos on, you know, even if you don't know if you can quite get it. You know, if you do, well, you know, there you go. You've just you've just knocked him off, uh, and you know, in reverse, then he's going to be fighting back to you know, get back on top of you. So we're it's literally finding the competitive aspect in you know even like mundane tasks, you know, just always trying to find that competitive thing that, especially if that's a thing that helps motivate you like it does for me, then it's just trying. Best, uh, as best as I can to always essentially put a score onto things and put it in a game context. Awesome. Yeah, definitely some good takeaways there that I, I'm going to try to use and I hopefully our listeners do well. So that, that's awesome, man. And, and as I kind of hinted, you, you do have some stuff going on outside of volleyball that I wanted to pick your brain on. So with your Max G apparel, what made you want to start this and what's what's all the behind the scenes that goes into that? Because I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes especially think, oh, like I could start a clothing brand, but they probably have no idea how much work goes into it, right? So what sparked this for you and, and how are you enjoying it so far? Oh, yeah, I had no idea how much I uh, went into it. Uh, it was initially uh, the idea kind of sprang from wanting some very specific gear for like the senior players um, and senior like beach players specifically uh, because – we always thought that was like a well, when we were a bit younger and you know, go back a few years it was a massive thing for us to be given that that Australian uniform and you know even if it was just you know all of a sudden you've got that you've got that jumper you've got that tracksuit it was a massive like thing to strive for that was a part of a much bigger a bigger goal and and everything but it was 
it was, in a way, like a little pat on the back going, like, good job, you know, you're, you're on the right path, like, keep going. And, you know, we, all of a sudden we were seeing, you know, just through different uh, programs and everything, you know, all of a sudden, you know, go back three years, Zach and myself when we were juniors, you know, we, we had like a little presentation ceremony when we got given shorts and a polo shirt that had all the, like, you know, the senior logos on it. Where now it was kind of just a free-for-all to get given that uniform. And we, you know, myself and a couple of others felt especially that there wasn't as much of that. Um, well, it wasn't like held as, as, uh, as high up as it used to. And so we wanted to bring a bit of that back. And then I started designing some certain things just because I enjoy it uh, and came up with logos and then I started to think, well, actually, people would buy this. So, you know, could we, could we do that instead? Could I make a little fan range for Volleyball Australia? Because when I was looking at the fan shop, there really wasn't, wasn't any options that people would buy and wear just casually. Like all the sorts of things, like the T-shirts were very much like event-specific where, you know, you're going to show, you know, show your support because the bright yellow top with, you know, Oz Volley like printed, you know, across the chest and everything. But, you know, just going out to the shops or, you know, just walking around casually, people aren't necessarily going to wear those. So the thinking then branched out to, okay, what's something that, is going to get Volleyball Australia out there and get people talking about it and also wearing it like regularly. So then it started going, okay, trying to come up with some like a hoodie and T-shirt and like a cap that people would wear and would want to wear and it wasn't going to like stand out that you were openly, you know, really just supporting a team because once you – we found that once you kind of – left that junior stage, you, know, you went away from those hoodies that had the big logos across the chest, you know, saying like school sport or national champs and stuff like that. So that was kind of the driving force behind it. And then was lucky enough that Dad decided to help me out and jump on board and <laughs> bankroll the whole operation and also help me out with all the business sides of things behind it, you know, with the getting the business name set up and different tax accounts and all that sort of thing that I had no idea about and still kind of don't really know a whole lot about. Um, but get all that set up and then was uh, very thankful to like Volleyball Australia and uh, Andrew D for like the CEO for letting us uh, set up a stall uh, in Sydney at our uh, Oz Champs, and that was essentially the kind of soft, soft opening of the Max G Apparel and the volleyball athletic line uh, that we had with the World Tour event in Gold Coast was you know supposed to become like the big one for us where we were going to get hopefully like a lot of our sales, if not to sell out all the gear before the plan was to. Uh, set up sort of flash sale kind of operations where, you know, for two weeks, you know, we gather all the orders and then 
get the stuff made and ship it out. Uh, but then obviously Gold Coast got cancelled and you know there's no no travel anywhere for quite the time uh, being. So currently got a, a fair few hoodies and t-shirts sitting in uh, sitting in a front room. But you know we do uh, international shipping, so if anyone wants to wants to buy a t-shirt, buy a hoodie, you know. We can ship to Canada. We can ship anywhere in the world. Uh, you, know, you just have to chuck us a message and we can work out that shipping. <laughs> nice, nice. And I think I was peeking around your site. Uh, you do have the, the long option, right? So any volleyball listeners listening, uh, excuse me, volleyball players listening, it, it's not just a typical T-shirt, right? You have, have some extra long ones that I'm sure people like yourself enjoy that it actually fits like it should. Yeah, well, like uh, that was one thing, obviously, personally, that is a massive issue for me with a lot of clothes is you know, all right the body's the right fit sleeves are too short sleeves the right length I feel like I'm you know walking around in a tent uh, so it's not even that like you know we've got a long and a short option it's just the you know company and the brand that we've got uh, of like clothing it's all really good for tall people anyway so you know and you know this the sleeves stay the same length as well like you know they're not shrinking after a wash as well so you know i've had the well i've been wearing uh, my hoodie pretty much every other day because it's really comfortable and it's like a hoodie that fits me well and it's still the same size as like you know the first day i wore it awesome awesome so people can go i think you've got it linked from your instagram but uh, we'll put it in the show notes like max g apparel i think you have your own instagram page and facebook page for the brand right yeah, yeah. So I've got um, so link through my own personal Instagram to the Max G Apparel Instagram page, and then yeah, that has links to the uh, to the website with the shop, and then yeah, also got the Facebook page with links and everything there. Um, but you know, with the international side, just you know, give us if you're wanting to buy anything, you just got to give us a message, uh, and then we can figure out the international shipping and everything through that. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I'm always a big fan that uh, I think sometimes when you get some volleyball players around, we, we'd like to complain and say what our sport doesn't have. And I'm always, always down to talk about people who have found a solution and have found a way. And this is definitely a, a cool thing you got on the go. Yeah, that was, um, that was also a bit of a driving force behind uh, really making it, making my own and trying to, trying to really like push it. So it was not only like a supplement for my own kind of salary, but helped with getting the Volleyball Australian name out was, you know, we know that you know, we can't be, you know, knocking on the door asking for more money from Volleyball Australia because there isn't any. So it was like, okay, well, where can where can I find some money where, you know, that, that you know, that's not coming from them or, you know, just, you know, so Zach can, for example, like my teammate, he's he's got his own company as well, where he breeds and sells crickets. Like a lot of a lot of guys and a lot of players now, like girls as well, we're all just coming up with different side hustles essentially to really keep that that dream going. Yeah, we're gonna have to get him on. I, I love to discuss how he came up with that idea and how he executed it. Yeah, he uh, it all kind of came through um, his study at uni and because you know, he's he's a country boy at heart so and from the country so 
coming from coming off a farm is like, all right, well, this is actually a lot better for the environment, a lot cheaper uh, to produce. So he's come a long way in a year, really, uh, where he's now got a couple of shipping containers full of crickets. <laughs> that's awesome i'm sure there's a story there somewhere so we got to get him on but uh just looking at the clock i know we had to you know work with the time zone so i want to appreciate you for staying up a little bit later here and joining us and telling us your story because obviously when things get going again easy guy to root for so excited to see you and what you and zach can do on you know your olympic journey and see if you can get that olympic gold obviously i'm biased and i'm going to cheer for canada but if it's not us i i hope it's you <laughs> um but one thing we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just to tell a funny story to give us a laugh so obviously you're you're a world traveler and playing volleyball for a living just something odd or funny is going to happen along the way so i was hoping you could give us one more story before we let you go yeah so it's like a story is definitely along the down lines a lot of uh, volleyballers um, would have experienced things very similar to this. Uh, so two years ago, when I was playing with uh, Paul Burnett, he was having to fly back to get to his Monday lecture um, uh, with uni, and so he had to take a more expensive flight option uh, to get back. And to cover that, I was like, all right, well, I'll bite the bullet and I'll take the real cheap option just to make sure that we save money and, you know, we can use the, the budget that we got allocated and we can save a bit of money on the top of that as well. And so we're coming back for an event in China, which, you know, usually from China to Australia is like a four-hour flight. And then depending on the, uh, your extra flights that you're having to do, maybe it's like eight hours kind of travel tops. Well... My travel ended up being 22 hours coming back. Uh, I had a sh an, hour, uh, was like an hour and a half flight um, domestic in China before having a 14-hour layover uh, before getting into Sydney and then Sydney to Adelaide. And one thing with China is, you know, they don't accept MasterCard or Visa. And so I land in, can't even remember, a very long and odd name that I can't even pronounce. Uh, landed there and the airline had refused or said that they weren't allowed to check my bags in all the way to Sydney. So after uh, this domestic flight, I had to pick up my bags and then, you know, obviously international travel, can't check my bags in till three hours before the flight. So I had 11 hours where I'm sitting in the airport with my bag. Uh, I'd already been up for, I think, nine or ten hours at that stage because we had an early early rise to get on the bus to uh, make it to the airport because I think it was like a two-and-a-half-hour two drive from the, from the hotel to the airport. So already been a long day and had no money. So, you know, I'm sitting in this airport for 14 hours, no money to get any food or anything, trying not to sleep because I was paranoid that if I did, that someone was going to steal my bag. And then when I was finally able to check my bag in and got on that flight, fell asleep straight away. So, wake up, we're landing in Sydney. I've missed that, missed that flight of food as well. You know, they'd come, they'd, apparently they'd put, in the, put the food in front of me 
I was still asleep when they were packing everything up, so they grabbed it, grabbed it back. Uh, so I think at that stage I was close to 20 hours with not having eaten anything, and I was in a world of hurt. Like I've, I've never been this hungry, and I never really want to be that hungry again because I landed in Sydney, got through customs, and the first thing I saw was McDonald's, and I pretty much ran to the counter and just ordered four large Big Mac meals and I, I reckon they would have been eaten in record time because they didn't touch the sides. They just went straight in and you know, I think I had like another two hours left in the Sydney airport till I went to Adelaide and you know, after I'd gone through, went and had a, a, steak, a steak meal at a, a restaurant in the airport as well. So I think I... I think I spent the same amount of money basically in the airport that I would have saved from taking that flight if I just went on the same one as Paul. So wasn't in, didn't end up being the most efficient way to, to get back, but you know, it was definitely a story. Yeah, I was thinking that as you started your story. I was like, I wonder what your cheat meal is going to be as soon as you land because you're a pretty big dude and could put it away. So the, the McDonald's was going to be my first guest actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, it wasn't a planned, planned one either. It was completely out of like necessity and it was the first thing that was there out of the door and you know there was no way that I was going to be able to have the mental strength to walk past it and keep looking for another five ten minutes or whatever it was just all right there it is you know food get in me now <laughs> I think that's a funny thing that uh, I think when people hear that you play beach volleyball, they're like, oh, you get to travel the world and play a sport. But the, the underlying thing there is if you don't spend money, like you can really show up at a tournament or get home from a tournament in a rough way. Like we've had Canadian guys try to save money and they end up having to take a bus or a train. And by the time they get off and at the venue, their knees are just shot. Right. So you got to find those opportunities where sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and spend some extra money. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things that, a lot of the uh, public or even like just people who aren't in that kind of setting, they, they just see that, you know, all right, you're playing professionally or representing your country, you know, they just kind of expect things might be real easy or everything's paid for, but you know, all the time it's not. And so you're having to, you know, pick and choose where to spend your money best. You know, do you, you know, take that cheap flight option or do you suffer a bit with, you know, the hotel just so you're a bit closer or, you know, so you can save that money so you can you can get that better flight route. It's all about picking and choosing where to spend spend that money like wisest really. Well, man, this has been awesome. Thanks again for making it work with the time zone difference and, and everything else. And like I said, easy guy to root for. So we'll, we'll plug that clothing brand you got uh, on the go and – Make sure to keep an eye when things get back into competition and we can root you on. Ah, thank you very much. Uh, love being on here. And uh, no matter what any of the Canadians say, they never beat the Australians in Mario Kart. <laughs> Can't wait to tell Jake and Dallas. I think we're going to have to phone you or get you on again to debate this. But <laughs> that's a good uh, cliffhanger to leave us with. Oh, Dallas definitely knows that he's a, he's a daisy. <laughs> awesome, Max. Thanks again, man. Thank you very much.